Blog Talk Radio. this month. It's going to be a, a dark, 
trail that we are about to go down. Is that you're going to look on the left, and it's going to be nothing but like you know violence and satire, and then you're going to look on the right, and you're going to see nothing but depression and you know just like Mark said, potential suicide, just all sorts of sad stuff. But <laughs> <laughs> but we might have there might be a rape thrown in. I, I have a feeling that's going to show up. That's going to be a common theme in some of these uh, some of these discussions that uh, we have about uh, these stories. But uh, as Mark said, I'm Jesse Starcher, host of the Source Material podcast here on Monday nights on the Radelichen Broadcasting Network. And bringing on here, I want to go ahead and bring on our guest. Uh, He is the co-host usually with me on Source Material. He is also host of his own podcast, which is the Screaming Boy podcast. You can usually hear that here on the Rattlers Broadcast Network about every every other Friday, every other Saturday, somewhere in there. You won't catch him on the weekend. His name is Ronnie Adams. And, uh, sir, do you have a smile on your face? I'm trying. <laughs> hey, the the front of this book is nothing but a smiley face pen, isn't it? <laughs> is that, With blood is, on it. <laughs> I, that is the, uh, the death of happiness. Uh <laughs> You ain't a kidding. Um, now, Maybe that's Cole, what we should have called this month. September, pre- yeah. September on the Rattler Broadcasting Network, the death of happiness. It would have it fit very well, very well. Uh, and now I'm going to go ahead and bring on – we have a caller here. And now we, we got a couple other guests. Let's see if we got one of them lined up here. All right, who did we bring on here to the, uh, to the Alan Moore Month special on Watchmen? From the depths of the Twit Cave, it is Cole Marintet. <laughs> my man. What is going on, Cole? I'm glad you were able to Skype in. I know Skype is a, Skype's a fun thing to deal with with blog talk. Oh, yeah. Skype is continuing to be a fun thing to deal with. It is not letting me deal with it at all. I'm currently calling just from my cell phone. <laughs> ah, well, then. Well, then. I'm glad you can make the show, my man. Thank you very much. Cole Marantat's been on some uh, previous source material episodes, source material episodes. Uh, we covered uh, we, we've covered a lot. Uh, I think the last one we had, if I remember correctly, was another joyful, uh, fun story, such as Frank Miller. And uh, I know for sure we had Frank Miller, and we discussed the RoboCop versus Terminator. But we also, I think, actually the last... <laughs> <laughs> the last show that we actually were discussing was Watchmen related, where we talked about Rebirth, because it was right as Rebirth, like the next day mm-hmm. after Rebirth released. And I don't know, I haven't had a chance to read anything since DC Rebirth, so I, I, I'm kind of at a loss as to how, uh, you know, the Watchmen are figuring into the DC universe at this point in time, but... That's, of course, not why we're here. Tonight, we're going to discuss Watchmen, and as Mark said... I am in charge of bringing up – we're going to talk about the, the book portion of things, okay? Now, I'm pretty much – I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a quick plot synopsis, and I wrote this out myself, so, you know, I'm going to pat myself on the back because, if uh, of course, I might – If you can get through a plot synopsis of this fucking thing in under an hour, I will give you one Christmas. <laughs> oh, yeah, I that's, that's plenty that's out. Yeah, you set up for yourself. <laughs> oh, check it out. I want to do it in one minute or less. Here we go. All right, plot synopsis. A former superhero is murdered, and a past teammate recognizes that this is becoming a trend and makes it his mission to find out who's behind it. 
The story gets interesting as we find out the superhero, that superheroes have previously been outlawed unless sanctioned by the government, mostly due to the fact the United States has things well in hand since the quoting here, Superman is real and he is American. The problem is, for unknown reasons, our Superman has disappeared, leaving us at the brink of nuclear war with the Russians. That sounds like a pretty simple twofold plot, but as we get into the 448 pages of narrative, we find that our heroes in this, pe- in this piece may not be so super after all. So, that being said, now obviously we have a, there is a lot that goes into this book. Uh, there, Alan Moore, if anything, that I have truly and utterly understood after reading two and a half pieces of his of the books that we're going to cover on Alan Moore Month here, he, is, he can write, and he likes to do so. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the articles that I read as I was going through some of the, uh, some of the research that was on the, on the Internet, he had finished a one-million-word novel. I want to tell you that Good again. Lord. <laughs> one million words. So this guy can write, and he likes to do so. Now this thing, this this book, 1986, 1987 was when these comics were released. Uh, Alan Moore, clearly, we've already talked about. He's the writer of this. I want to give props to Dave Gibbons, who is the, I believe, the artist here. Um, and uh, it, it's a, it, it's a very. If you talk to a lot of people, they will tell you it's a very important piece of literature, uh, mainly because in the 80s something. We see it nowadays pretty commonly, but in the 80s, this was something that was brand new to the comic book medium, the deconstruction of the comic book superhero. And just to kind of give a little bit of a history here as to what he was wanting to do originally, Alan Moore had – he had wanted to take some DC superheroes and pretty much give them this treatment. Uh, through you know what we see with Watchmen, but what had happened is the I think DC got a hold of or acquired the Charlton superheroes, and so he was going to actually take some of those heroes that hadn't been used in a very long time and use them in Watchmen. What ended up happening though is that DC either DC or Alan Moore was like, well, wait a second, I, we better not do that because. Pretty much, we know what's going to happen at the end of this. These heroes are going to be one and done. <laughs> There's not going to be much left uh, after after what is used in this story. So what had happened is he created his own characters. They created their own characters uh, based off of the Charlton superheroes. Uh, and you can go online and you can find the analogs that they used. Rorschach, uh, you know, just for example, Rorschach was modeled after the question. Uh, and each one of these are an analog to one of those uh, Charlton superheroes that they acquired. So, okay, Mark, or, or Mark, you you said you got a hold of this book. Um, you came upon this. Had you read it before? You got this. Uh, you got this book from somebody here recently. Or is this something that you oh. just took upon yourself recently? No. What happened was. Um... Years ago, when when the original movie came out, um, I didn't really know anything about it. I didn't do comic book movie. So this, this has to be in, uh, in the early 2000s, between 2000 and 2004. And uh, like I said, I hadn't, I knew nothing of the Watchmen. I, I didn't know 
um, that this was an Alan Moore thing. I just I had heard that it was like a really weird comic book movie, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm a big movie buff, so let me check it out. And I remember originally watching this, going, what the fuck is happening in this movie? And being bored to tears, and waiting for it to So I didn't think much about it after that. But uh, like I said, I got a, a friend of, a, of my wife sent me a bunch. She said, she said you know, do you want some old comic books that I've got? Uh, because I, cause we're moving and I don't need to carry all the stuff with me. And lo and behold, there was the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, and that's what sort of spawned the idea of doing this. So I went out and bought the lot. Um, now, having read the comic, the movie makes a lot more sense. And you know, when we get to it, I'll have, I'll have more to say. But I'll tell you, if you haven't, if you go into this cold and you just watch the movie and you are expecting, this is sort of a, 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 an around-the-way reference, but if you're expecting the Marvel Cinematic Universe, boy, are you in for a long, hard night. Um, <laughs> if you're open, <laughs> but if, if you're open to sort of, um, you know, a, a, a deconstruction of, comic book heroes and you sort of allow yourself to uh, see the noir unfold, it's not a bad movie. Um, but like, I don't want to get ahead of us. As far as the book goes, like I said, I didn't know what to expect. I had some ideas because I like I said, watched the movie, but I wasn't quite sure how the book was going to go. And man, is this a... This is, uh, Pat Mullen, who was supposed to be joining us tonight, who may or may not join us, said, yeah, it's a slow start. No, the turtle and the tortoise and the hare had a <laughs> This thing moves graciously until about six issues in and really only starts to get good and interesting when Rorschach goes to prison. But, you know, we'll talk about that. But getting mm-hmm. up to that, it was like, it was like George Lucas in Star Wars without editing. You know, it was like, I have all these ideas and like, no one there to stop him and going, no, 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 you can't do it all at once, sir. You have to do things, you know, kind of in a linear fashion, dole it out over time. No, 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 I want to do 97 things all at once. I'm going to, let's do a pirate story, comic books, let's do a flashback, all in the same <laughs> fucking <laughs> What? Well, okay, let me move to Cole here. I want to go ahead and move to Cole. Cole, let's, let our listeners know, when was it that you first read The Watchmen, and did it have an impact on you like it did many others? Uh, well, the first time I read it, um, I got a copy of it from a roommate uh, that I was rooming with in college in about 2003, 2003 or 2004. Um, read it cover to cover in one night. Wow, um, dude. Impressive. Just devoured it. It was like nothing I'd read before. And I was a fan of superhero comics, but I hadn't really read anything deconstructive or really anything deeper than good guy fights bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, looking back on it now, I think I appreciate Watchmen more than I like it. Mm. Um, the story is great. Like it's very important for superhero comics and where it's where it's come from and what has happened in the genre since then. But mm-hmm. I don't think 
I would put it in my favorite comic books for just pure. I enjoyed the story. I liked the way the characters were and where the plot went. Mm-hmm. Ronnie, how about you, man? What, first time reading Watchmen. What what was it like? Um, it was a few years back. Uh, I decided to erase the exact day from my memory uh, <laughs> because I want I want happy memories. But uh, no, um, I can't remember exactly when when I read it. But uh, I, no one warned me. No one warned me. Um, they just said, "Hey, this is an important." comic book this is this changed the scope of how you would think about superheroes and comic books and everything and i said okay i need to read this and um it was one of those things where uh it it was really slow just like just like mark said and i I didn't know where it was going but it's really good but but man it is so different and so dark and um uh, I, I'm just like Cole. I appreciate it and I really like it, but it's it's not one of my favorites. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I don't really like it. I mean, I really appreciate it and I understand the importance of it and um, and why everybody loves it. And uh, it was just it was a different experience in reading comic books. Speaking about why it was important, you know, that was one of the things that kind of stuck in my mind. It's like, why is this such a big deal? You know, Mark's sitting here and he's trying to, he's trying to turn page after page and trying to get through this thing. And I was finding myself when I first read this almost on the same level. Uh, and, And I think this makes the second or third time that I've read the Watchmen. And so I did a Google search, and I found a great io9 article about why uh, it was important. I'll go ahead and quote a little bit about what they had said. Watchmen is cited as one of the first works to demonstrate the maturity of comic books in terms of content and medium, and transcended both to be placed on the best novels list, best novels lists Mm -hmm. from Time, Entertainment Weekly, and the Wall Street Journal. One of the videos I watched today said that this thing made the 100 top novels of all time. Now, that is a big deal. That's Mm, a big deal. Um, And that's that that kind of made it made me realize that, okay, this thing was groundbreaking in the 80s. This was something that took what we knew. I mean, the superhero genre had been going on for, well, at least uh, 50 years at that point in time. And this took that and spun it on its ear. Uh, to be alive in that time, which I was, I, I was, uh, I think, approximately eight years old, so I wasn't going and getting Watchmen comics at that point in time. I was probably trying to get my latest issue of Spider-Man, but I can remember walking into one of the first comic book stores I ever, I, I can ever remember. And it was over here in Parkersburg. There's a place called Books and Things. It looked like somebody's basement with, like, just freaking long boxes everywhere and posters on the wall. Uh, And I can honestly remember that iconic smiley face badge being plastered up over on one section of that wall. And I didn't understand what it was about. Even if you would have gave me the comic book at that point in time, I still probably wouldn't have understood what, what it was about. But it had taken the world by storm because of what had transpired in these pages. So, me get back up here to my questions. Uh, let's talk about visual style here. Now we're talking book 
you know, versus the movie tonight or, you know, just a comparison of the two, one of the things that you will notice with Watchmen is that it looks it looks different than your flashier comic books, the, the stuff that really pops out of the page. And Cole, I'll start with you here. Uh, one of the one of the names that popped up in one of the documentaries I was watching was a guy, the colorist on this guy by the name of John Higgins. Uh, he used a template that they called moodier. Uh, it, it was it was different colors. Uh, it favored secondary colors. Do you think the way that this that these pages were laid out and colored and the way that it looked did it fit the story well or would it have been would it have been better with you know some kind of flashy inks or, or what do you think of that? Um, well, I think that the art and the coloration are vital to what makes Watchmen great. Um, the lack of primary colors, the lack of, you know, your big flashy blues, reds, and yellows is the symbol of the lack of that sort of clear-cut good guy archetype in the story. It's uh, very important in in, in comic history that they use primarily villain colors for everybody. I mean, browns, grays, yeah. purples, um, because you're supposed to sort of, it trains your eye to see everyone in shades of gray rather than, oh, here's Superman in his blue, red, and yellow costume. Mm-hmm. It, and that's a good point. One of the things that I noticed was how, I don't want to say how dull the the book looked, but it it didn't panels didn't pop out to me like I was used to. I, I just remember going, mm-hmm. man, this just looks so strange. Uh, Ronnie, you know, you, you you feel the same way. Do you, did the art strike you as something that fit well with the tone of the book? Did he get booted? Ronnie, are you there? Breaker, breaker, one nine. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I coughed <laughs> and had muted. That's uh, all right. As you know, my cough is he- god awful. So. Um, still getting over that thing. Yeah, but um, as I said before, the the book is has a dark tone anyway, um, so it, it really matches and and it, and it sets you up for how it's going, how the whole book, how the storyline is going to go, and everything. It matches up with uh, what Alan Moore had intended for it to be, I, I, I believe. To me, it looks like the Sunday Funny. <laughs> Every panel, every panel to me just looked like the more serious, you know, not, you know, I call it the Sunday funnings, but um, not every, uh, not every cartoon in the newspaper was, you know, was something funny or, or you know, maybe humorous. Like uh, Prince Valiant. Yeah, there were a couple of serious ones in there, and that's what this yeah. looked like to me. This looked like this just yeah. jumped right out of a page of the newspaper. Well, yeah. The- the flashier tones, the the brighter colors always match up. You know, always catch the the children's eye, or um, you know, uh, knowing that the hero is going to save the day and and he's going to win. Um, the darker tones, uh, it's more dramatic and more um, adult oriented. So, the, I mean, to me at least, uh, it just 
it just comes off across as that. Mark, let me ask you, reading, you know, looking at the book and seeing the visual style that was going on, do you think it would have worked if it was, I mean, do, do you think that it was, I guess you should say, was it advantageous to go this route compared to, you know, your regular uh, totally awesome Hulk colorist? Well, I'll say this. I think Alan Moore wanted to say something about comic books. And if he had just used the traditional look of comic books, I think the message maybe uh, might have been muddled. Um, okay. I, I think he was going, going the more artistic route. And so by, you know, by, by using the color palette that he did and using that style, I think it, sort of, it adds to the overall presentation of, hey, this is a, a criticism of comic um, And so everything is going to be different than what you're used to. You're not going to have bright, flashy colors. You're not going to have stylized art necessarily. Everything is going to look very realistic. Everything is going to look, um, everything is going to look very dark uh, because what, what we're after here is not to capture the attention of a 10-year-old, but to say something about the medium, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to pick up on. Oh, sorry. It also makes everybody look the same. There's no real difference in in the villains and the heroes. Um, I mean, well, what you perceive as the as the villains, everybody's the same. Everybody's got that dark undertone to them. Everybody's got that. It's almost like everybody's got their own secret. And yeah, if it does. There's nobody with there's nobody with like a sharp chin like the Joker or a long right nose penguin. You know, or anything like that. You're right. Everybody, everybody looks like people. Mm-hmm. One thing, one thing I didn't realize until I saw, uh, you know, I saw some YouTube video about it today was, or maybe it was yesterday. But there's only one superhero in this whole book, and the rest of them are all just well-trained humans. Uh, the only one superhero is Doctor Manhattan. That's it. The rest of them are mm-hmm. just. You know, it, there's there's no there's nothing really special about them other than actually what makes them become and suit up pretty much and, and become a hero. Um, well, I think now, man, slide, calls up slide down a little bit. I mean, he's the smartest man on earth. That's talent. Okay, we'll give him talent, but I mean that he didn't get that from a nuclear explosion. This isn't something that makes him. He isn't like the. You can tell me you're the smartest man on earth, Mark Radlich, and I'd probably, I'd probably believe you because I'm that gullible. But it, 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 <laughs> that doesn't make you a superhero. Uh, it, it, there's nothing like ex, extremely – just like you said, it's, it's talent. Um, and he wasn't bitten by a radioactive encyclopedia. You know, he's just smart. <laughs> right. True. <laughs> it's true. So, Okay. That being said, with Dr. Manhattan being the, the only superhero of this book, Mark, do you remember when we discussed uh, – it was Superman, uh, I want to say Earth-1. That is not right, though. What was it me and you and Andrew Graham discussed there on Source Material? Superman? No, I believe it is Earth-1. Was it Earth-1? Okay. All right. Yes, it was Superman Earth One. So we discussed Superman Earth One. It was almost a similar tone where, you know, Superman shows up and now all of a sudden there's this, you know, this being on Earth who can do just about anything that they want. 
do you have any idea or would you care to even like postulate as to why in the world Dr. Manhattan continued to listen to the United States government as long as he did throughout this, throughout this book? One of the things I guess I should probably go ahead and let our listeners know a little bit part of the plot with Dr. Manhattan. He's just, tr- you know, he's, he's the one super being who can basically deconstruct things down on a molecular level. He also, I think transcends time, um, why in the world would would he consider himself, or why would he? I, I don't know. I don't know. Like bow down to the U.S. government at that point in time? Why didn't he just go off and be? Why didn't he just go off and be God somewhere? Is that kind of what? Is that what happened here? Is that? The, well, I think every man needs a purpose, and he's not God. He's not an alien. He was a human being who. He's, he's the only one that actually has like a traditional comic book background in the sense that, you know, he, he was the uh, victim of an accident that gave him superpowers. And I think, you know, he evolved over time. If you, he has one of the most interesting arcs throughout the Watchmen, whereas, you know, he's, he's, he submits himself to the will of the government because why not? Um, he's, a, he's a patriot. He's a... Uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's an American, so why not win the Vietnam War for us, be a hero? Um, but over time, you know, he has the fallout of his relationship with, uh, with uh, Laurie Jupiter, and, you know, he's made to believe he gave all these people cancer, and, you know, he goes to Mars, and then he comes back and he realizes, spoiler, he realizes that, you know, the only way for humanity to truly be at peace is to wipe half of it out. Um. And then, um, and now I'm thinking of the movie, not necessarily the, the comic book here, but um, I like the way that it is the movie. He just goes, he just goes, okay, I, there's no more left for me to do here. And, I'm, and at this point, I'm not even a human being. I, I'm incapable of having a human relationship. So I'm going to go to another universe. Maybe I'll be a god there. I love that. It's one of the, it's one of the more interesting things about the, about the story and about his character. Um, but you can clearly see that evolution of, I was a man. I continued to act like a man, even with God powers. And then I decided, uh, and then I decided this is a waste of time, and I'll just be a god. Yeah. <laughs> the it, it almost seemed like to me a sense of boredom as well. Like, what else was he going to do? Well, yeah. they're living in a world think- where it just seems like they weren't they weren't appreciated. <laughs> I mean, they were forced yeah. out of being a hero, of being heroes. He now works for the federal government, and then all these people, just like Mark had said, all these people were accusing him of causing people to have cancer because, you know, he blew radiation or whatever. But uh, you know, these, I would almost, I identify with something like that. You know, you're, he has nowhere else to go, nobody to, nobody to actually rely on. I would be. I would wouldn't blame the guy for giving up on the uh, human race. Cole, do you have anything to add here? Well, yeah. Uh, one of the most interesting points about Doctor Manhattan is if you were to talk to him, if you were to ask him why he submitted to the U.S. government, his answer would be that he couldn't have done anything else because that's how it happened. Um, see, that's true. The character of the character of Doctor Manhattan. Uh, like you said, transcends time. And he says at one point, uh, there is no past, there is no future. 
uh, I wish I could remember the exact quote, but basically that everything happens all at once and that humans just view time as a jewel one facet at a time, which is incorrect. Mm-hmm. And so he couldn't have not done what the government wanted him to do because that's what he did right then. So See? there's no, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. No, when, when I was reading the book, I can remember when they did the time hop and stuff with him. Because he's all of a sudden he's back in 1943 and he's back on Mars and he's here and then he's there. And honestly, it was pretty darn headache inducing for me to sit there and try. And I should, it should very well be, you know, to try and sit there and think of somebody who can see outside of time and space and be everywhere at once. Uh, quite literally, when he's in bed with his his wife there at one point, um, <clears throat> or his his, his uh, with uh, shoot, what's her name? Um, help me out, somebody help me out. What is her name? Uh, Spectre. Spectre. Phil Spectre. Yeah. So let's go ahead. What I'll do real quick. Uh, we got about another five ten minutes here before I turn it over to Mark. We'll we'll discuss we'll discuss some movie talk. Let's talk favorite characters. Now we've already talked a lot about Doctor Manhattan. Ronnie, do you have a favorite character out of this story? Because there's there's a there's a few to pick from. I'm going to go with Rorschach. I mean, I know yeah. he's probably everybody's favorite, and I might have stolen somebody, but uh, I I I don't know. I, it's just that out of all the people, he was the looniest, but he was also the one that was in touch with with reality the entire time. Um, mm-hmm. He he was he was he was flat out insane. Let's just say, it. And, but he's the one that uh, that was trying to to actually solve a crime, <laughs> you know. Um, but his to me his character was the most interesting just because of his background, because of who he was, because he didn't want to give up, uh, you know, the being the superhero, being the crime fighter when everybody else had. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to let go. How about you, Cole? You got a favorite character? Yes, I do. Ozymandias. Okay. Um, the I would say the real hero of the piece, uh, because in the end, he saves the day. It's not a very pretty way to save the day, hmm. but in the end, he saves the day. He averts nuclear holocaust. Now, now I, I can see that being an unpopular opinion amongst, amongst a lot of people <laughs> because he does definitely – and that's, I guess, the point of this book is to make you, just like you said, shades of gray. There isn't a clear black and white here when it comes to a lot of these characters. It's motivations. It's what's went into – that person, uh, you know, what their experiences were, what their home life was like up to that point, and what, uh, you know, what occurred. So I, I respect that opinion. I think that there's an argument that can be made for that for sure. Um, how about you, Mark? Fav- favorite character? Um, my favorite character is Rorschach, but he's like the Deadpool of this thing. So, I mean, yeah. um, 
<laughs> let me second let, favorite character. About, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the comedian. Um, the comedian reminds me of a period in film and literature um, post Vietnam, um, pre this pre the Superman of the eighties that uh, the cynical, dejected uh, soldier. You know, the guy that comes home from Vietnam and just hates everybody, you know. He, he has this line throughout the entire series of, you know, and, and that something along the lines of, like, the, the, well, that's, and that's the punchline or that, that's the joke. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's the, he, he's sort of the, the cynical um, voice of this, uh, of this story. And he's, to me... Other than maybe Laurie, who's sort of a dipshit, he's the, he's also the most realistic. You know, here here's a guy who went to go fight the good fight in World War II, and the more war you see, the more the more of man's inhumanity to man that you see, the the more your of your soul becomes blackened, and you start to lose any sense of respect for uh, for humanity, and that's that's his arc. You know, you see him uh, shooting into a crowd, uh, beating up and then shooting into a crowd of people. Um, he nearly uh, rapes the specter. He, uh, you know, he's just, he, uh, you know, shoots, he shoots the, his impregnated, uh, no. call her girlfriend, in lack of a better word, you know, shoots her dead. You know, he's just completely, you know, he's Rambo. Um, and Rambo before he became serialized in later <laughs> movies. He's Rambo from first blood in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, yeah. But with, with, with that more cynical, more eloquent edge to him, you know, he is mumbling his dialogue. Uh, if you know what I mean. He, so <laughs> I, I, I like about him. Um, I think if you ask a man to, to go to war for you and then you continue to continually ask him to go back and you give him nothing else to do, this is what he may turn into. This is what many people have turned into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think Alan Moore, you know, is talking about, you know, the idea of continually sending people, you know, into these fights. How might that, you know, look, look at, look at Batman from Batman v Superman. Everyone calm the fuck down. Just wait a minute now. Um, <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> what you know? What was Zack Snyder uh, saying about that Batman? This was a Batman who was old and grizzled, you know, and it sort of lost sight of the mission, and it just started hurting people, you know, branding them and whatnot. That sort of that, that sort of thing it just comes up again and again. I also think that's why this isn't as effective now in 2016, is we've already seen the superhero genre deconstructed yeah. just this very year, you know, mm-hmm. we've seen it done a number of times now. So the Watchmen's sort of out of date. But this is getting back to this, that, the, that idea that that they put into Batman this year. Same thing with the comedian, basically. Um, and I and I find him to be an interesting character because of it. Okay. Now, wasn't he wasn't he that dark, um, jaded character before he even went to war? Uh, no, if you'll notice, they even, I mean they changed his costume as sort of a reflection of his darkening uh, point of view and personality. That is he true. Off, that is very true yellow and purple and he looks rather silly you know and then the war is over and he does something horrifying to Silk Spectre and then shortly thereafter he's got the new uniform yeah that's true yeah that's true well 
My favorite character, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Rorschach also. <laughs> I'm not going to go second favorite character since we're getting ready. We want to move, move the show along, but I will give my justification for Rorschach uh, just as well. He was, he felt like, even though he was just completely batshit crazy, he had a sense of justice that was unwavering. And that to me is what that that identifies a very heroic aspect in a lot of the superheroes that I like. You know, I'm a big Punisher fan. A lot of people know that. I, I you know, I, I'd go by the name Street Level Starch usually on Saturday nights. Um, that's that's just <laughs> <laughs> usually that's Facebook post. Um, but anyway, it, you know, there was that there's there's that sense of justice that is that that's just unwavering in them, and I. I, I immediately like that. Um, that spoke to me. And he's the one that doesn't back down from Dr. Manhattan. That, that, and he's ready. He is ready to die. Because he knows it's going to happen. And he unfortunately does in, in the book. Um, and the movie. It, it, it says something about the author when the craziest one makes the most sense. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. Uh, and that's a good way of writing. Well, hang on. Does it make sense to be that unwavering? I mean, what was it, what, what's his big phrase? Is it, you know, no compromise. Does that make the most sense? And, and, I'm, and I'm willing to back this around. I'm not, I'm not sort of shouting at you, at, this at you guys. Yeah, I hear you. But, stop, yeah. Yelling, stop yelling at me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I mean, does it make sense for someone to – I mean, well, well granted, the, you know, Osmandius' plan was, was extreme, terribly extreme um, – kind of walking that back just a moment is it really the sanest thing in the world is it really the best thing in the world for someone to be completely uncompromising i mean his his relationship with owl man sort of comes out of that idea of he is because because he's so uncompromising he becomes hard to work with hard to deal with you know they're in the middle of rescuing him and he you know and he doesn't know how it's like dealing with somebody you know, with antisocial personality disorder, they have no empathy, they have no ability to be grateful, you know, they just take and they take and they take. Um, and so I, you know, so I wonder about Jack. Well, well, I find him to be a, a, a great character, and I think, you know, DC should fucking make a movie, just, just go, just turn him into the Deadpool of the DC cinematic universe, and go Rorschach crazy. Um, <laughs> give him his no, own I, set of... I agree with you on his on his outlook on on the whole on the whole deal. I mean, but it makes the most sense because uh, to me he makes the most sense because um, of his unwavering sense of justice, because of no compromise, because that is who he is. That you know he takes that hero uh, that label to you know to that nth degree, and I guess because I, I like him into. Batman, you know, and, and all these great detectives and, you know, those comic book heroes um, that wouldn't have sacrificed, you know, half of mankind just so everybody would be at peace. Um, it, it, it just, it makes more sense to me as far as, um, I don't know, you just don't kill half, you know, half the world to, to yeah, just so it'll be at peace and, and he sees it. I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm insane too. Um, but see, 
but see the way Rorschach was going, it wouldn't have killed half the world. It would have killed the entire world. The yeah. way Rorschach was going, no compromise, no surrender, no backing down. They're already on the edge of nuclear war. The only place they had to go was over the edge. So you see that sort of uncompromising, unwavering sense of justice was what com- was what killed the world. And to take it another step further, for another reading of his final conversation with Dr. Manhattan, I think he was begging to be killed because he knew that if he went back, if he went back, if he followed his morals, he would have to expose Ozymandias, which would doom the world all over again. And so he stood there. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I want to add to that and say that I think I agree with you 100%, but I also think you know, these are very layered characters and there's a lot of psychology here and, you know, that's my profession. So I want to, so to me, when he's sitting there and I'm thinking of the movie in this particular case, but I think, I think it was a fair representation of what was in the book. And he's sitting there almost pleading the document Manhattan to just get it over with, to do this. I think, and this is, you know, pardon me for sounding a little, you know, a little gay, but um, I think his heart hurt. I think, after years of abuse and, you know, and antisocial behavior and realizing that he was a square peg in the round hole of this world, I don't, I think it, his heart ached and I don't think he wanted to be on this world with us anymore. I think it was, this was sort of a convenient excuse to say, you know what, take me out. I'm never going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would yeah. agree with that. Well, um, I want to go ahead and point well, out Hello. Um, uh, I was just going to say, I guess I am insane. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think I, I, I think Cole definitely has a great point there, in where you know yeah. the unwavering, the unwavering, not compromising, would would potentially, you know, end up destroying the world. I think that that is uh, that's one way that I didn't look at it. And he was just at, he didn't want to he didn't want to have to do that. But the only way that he could come to grips with it, with it would be to die. And that's uh, again, this book delves into the psychosis of a lot of these or the psyche of a lot of these heroes. And that's one of the things that I enjoy about the book because each character they put on a costume and they've not only are they hiding their faces, but there's a lot of people that are hiding what's inside of them and what's, what, what's, uh, you know, what they're bringing to the table, all, all that past. And it's everybody things and, you know, man, what am I trying to say here? Things happen in your life and to put on a costume, this has been said many a time. You've got to be, you've got to be messed up in the head in order to don the Batman costume. You, you've got to be considered criminally insane. If you're going to go out and, and fight crime, what is wrong with you? And I think that's one of the good things that this book, uh, this book brings to light. So now before we get one more thing, I just want to talk about a quick theme here that I've noticed in a lot of these books that we're going to discuss, specifically this one. Uh, there's a lot of, there is a lot of uh, side 
we, the, the tales of the black freighter. Uh, Mark, I, <laughs> that feeling that was coming. <laughs> you know, tales of the black freighter, and you, you got this guy <laughs> sitting beside a, a a news vendor. Now, at first, I didn't realize this. I was like, "What is this all about?" This kid sitting there reading the comic book and blah blah blah. I, I started to notice a theme throughout these Alan Moore books, and that is the theme of media influencing the public. And you'll notice that. The, the the public is almost brought to a frenzy and and by all these by by the newspapers by all these the telecast uh, the telecasts that are going throughout you know the TV stations and everything that are airing all this crazy stuff about the doomsday clock getting all now we're four minutes to doomsday uh, and this media frenzy that happens when war occurs. The other, you'll see that that the media and the public show up in uh, in a few of these books that we're going to be discussing, and one of the characters that I noticed was most influenced by the media was actually Ozymandias, because there's a one of the few times you see him sitting in his lair. How many TVs does the dude have up in front of him? Um, now, granted, that's not directly influencing him. What he is doing is trying to read and perceive throughout everything that's being aired what exactly is going to be occurring next, I believe, is what he's trying to do. However, that doesn't go – what's being shown to you on TV is what they want to show you, okay? What – whoever, you know, whatever network is wanting to show you. And, of course, in today's day and age of – you know, somebody is bashing either Fox News or CNN or something like that because that is – they're bringing to light what they want you to see. And I think that is a theme we'll see throughout a lot of these books. Now, I'm done with the book portion of things. Uh, I don't have anything else I want to add. Cole, do you have anything else you'd like to add about the book? Any closing thoughts, anything before we get into the movie portion of things? I do, and it ties in with my favorite character. Um, I've I've overheard you guys uh, sort of dissing on the Tales of the Black Freighter. Uh, that it was boring, you know, that it was uh, ancillary to the story. I want you to go back and read it with this in mind. The Tales of the Black Freighter is Ozymandias' story. Okay. Go, okay. Back, go back and reread it and think about what that what that comic within a comic has to do with the final like the final end game because I didn't see it until my second or third rereading of the book. Okay, oh, God, I, you read it that many times. <laughs> oh, I've I've read it a ton of times over the years. There's there's so much that obviously we're not going to be able to get into with this discussion, but I learned a lot by doing research on. On this book, like there, supposedly chapter five, fearful symmetry, is if you look at chapter five, it's completely symmetric uh, in, in the layouts of the book up to when they get to the, uh, you know, to when they get to the center. I think it's when Ozymandias is uh, there's an assassination attempt on Ozymandias, and you see this big full like uh, a big portion of the page is him, I think, de- decking the assassin. This is something that an an artist would look at and appreciate 
a dozen times over because going into first you've got to tell the story, then you've got to lay it out, and you've got to try and make this this particular chapter uh, perfect perfect symmetry. It's just insane. Um, but yeah, the the Black Freighter. I'd, I'd heard what you're talking about because it mirrors what is going on with Ozymandias and ha- the you know the decision that he has to come to or the decision that he does come to. Um, Ronnie, I add one thing. Oh yeah, go ahead, Mark. Sorry, I want to add one thing. This and kind of want to direct it at Cole since he's uh, a big fan of it. Um, I feel like comic books. I think I think in a lot of ways, especially in light of the movies that have come out recently, we've sort of lost the point with comic books, and that is that this is escapism. It's it's modern fantasy. It's mythology. Um, but overall, as I said, it's escapism. It's the world sucks. I want to go live in a place where you know, where I don't have to be reminded about how awful the world really is. And so, so let me live in a place where a a radioactive spider bites a boy and he goes off and has lots of adventures or, you know, or a guy builds a suit of armor and, and, you know, runs around uh, shooting people and that sort of thing, you know, or a guy with a shield can, can take out a hundred men. Let me just live in that world for a little while without being reminded about how shitty things are. And, I think the Watchmen betrays that in a lot of ways. It, 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 eleva- it absolutely elevates the comic book medium to criticism. It elevates, you know, it's a criticism of the comic book medium and it's a criticism of, uh, you know, of, of the world we were living in at that time. Um, it elevates the comic book medium in the sense that, it, that, while Stan Lee, I think, was trying to say something and you know, the people over at DC were trying to say something about the world, they also had to keep in mind that, that their audience were 10-year-olds. Uh, so, you know, it, it couldn't get too deep, but, um, I think at the end of the, I think, you know, Alan Moore sort of, sort of just sort of wipes that away and says, no, we're, we're going to elevate this thing to, to, you know, to where the, the audience is adult and I want to say something important. And as Ronnie, I think is a great example of somebody who, uh, this isn't fun. Now, as a, as a film person, I can look at the film and look at the really interesting points of it. But I'm also a 40 year old adult, and I and like I said, when I watched this 16 years, say it was in 2000, 16 years ago, I had a miserable time with it. And so I, I just I'm going to throw this out there for for debate. I think The Watchmen sort of portrays the points of comic books, and and, and that almost makes it an inferior product. All right, Cole, what do you think, man? I would agree with you to a point. I think that Watchmen does betray that idea of comic books. I also think that that's the point. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think that it's intentionally betraying that trust to show you the behind-the-scenes, quote-unquote, the way that it would happen in the real world. Now, personally, I've gotten sick of a lot of these deconstructionist takes on comic books because they all end up being the same thing. People are jerks, and <laughs> even our heroes are jerks, and everyone's a jerk, so the world sucks. Mm. Um, but I think with Watchmen, it was at the time so revolutionary that it really birthed the whole idea of comics as a medium for realistic storytelling. Uh, I mean, you can 
Marvel likes to point out that they they birthed the idea of graphic novels with the the death of Captain Marvel in '82, but I don't think the graphic novel as a medium, as we understand it today, where it's not just a collection of superhero stories, it is a method of telling stories in a graphical format. Mm-hmm. I really don't think it existed until Watchmen. Okay. And so just okay. for that, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'll, I'll go ahead and step in here real quick. I just want to say that, you know, up to this point, if you picked up, if you handed me uh, the whole run of action comics uh, for 1970, okay, Watchmen would have been a welcome change. It would have been the – I probably would have touted this thing to the ends of the earth, but I wasn't reading comics at that point in time in my life. Uh, so I understand why something like this would be necessary, and Alan Moore would look and say, I, I want to do something totally different. And this is the genesis for what we see a lot of today. Just like Cole said, it's – it's sickening because we get it. Uh, we get it a. We get it a lot, and even Alan Moore will say he didn't want it to become a. You know, he didn't want it to affect the genre this much. He wanted. To, he yeah. wanted Watchmen to be a one. What's that? He didn't want it to become the rule instead of exactly. the exception. Exactly. He wanted it to be this one and done thing, and you know, just let it let it be. But. You know, we've got to ruin everything, okay? <laughs> if we like something, we want more. <laughs> I get it from uh, my partner in crime, Robert Winfrey, for being a huge Star Wars fan. Hi, Robert. Um, I get shit for being, a, you know, for being a Star Wars fan because it hasn't been <laughs> ruined yet. Now, hang on. Before everyone says, but the fucking prequels. What I mean by that is, um, <laughs> no one, if anything. Lucas went in the opposite direction. He took it even less seriously. You know, Star Wars is still this sort of pure fantasy. I mean, granted, some of the movies are shit, and I'll be the first one to admit that. But, you know, but, that, but that's a movie discussion. My point is, the fantasy world itself hasn't been, you know, hasn't been brought down to this level of, of deconstruction where everything is serious and, you know, and the, and the, the world itself is, is shades of gray and grim and depressing. It's, Star Wars is wonderful. Star Wars is a day at the fair. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just, just a carnival of lights and excitement and, you know, and childish wonder. And if that makes you vomit, I get why you're not a Star Wars fan. But <laughs> for the rest of us, at least we still have that. You know, because it, you know, I feel like this conversation sort of taken this turn into what has become of comic books. Why? When did they stop being fun? Um, <laughs> fuck you, Alan Moore. All right, now I'm done. <laughs> okay. Well, see, that's the thing. Alan Moore. Alan Moore would be the first person to agree with you. He's gone on record mm-hmm. saying that he hates what what Watchmen has done to comic books. If he could mm-hmm. take it back, he would. It's. Well, I mean, look at the influence. I mean, one of the biggest influences of, of or one of, the, yeah, one of the the biggest comic books that uh, that I see influence of Watchmen, you know, in is uh, the Boys. Has anybody read the Boys? Oh, the Boys. Okay, Unfortunately, I, can't tell if that I have read some of the Boys. 
The Boys is, is an, oh man, is an absolute. I got into it and I liked it um, to a certain point. Um, it, after after that point, it was more of a um, <laughs> masochistic thing for me to read it. <laughs> I guess, um, but it, it 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 takes the whole superhero just like this. It it takes the whole idea of superheroes and it, and it flips it around and it's like that. That that hero that you see um, has a dark side to him, and 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 somebody needs to police the police, basically. So that's where the boys come in, who are dark and gritty and mean and and uh, awful themselves. Um, uh, you know, it, it's all about lies and building, you know, these partnerships on lies and and uh, and you look at that. When I was reading it, I was like. Whatever just happened to Spider-Man, you know, swinging in and punching out the vulture and, and being done with it. And, uh, you know, you don't think of of Superman and Wonder Woman and, and all these different, you know, Captain America having a dark side to them and, and having these deep secrets and and um, and and hiding things from the public and, and um, having to have somebody clean up after them, basically. Um uh, which is kind of what Rorschach was doing. He's kind of cleaning up after the whole mess that, that, that you know, Watchmen have left behind. Um, <laughs> Rorschach it, is such a parody. It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, but, um, so, it, it, it was different take, and it's had, and it's had its, uh, it's had its influence on a lot of different things, and, and it, it switched everything around. And I think that, that's why it's important because it did it, it, through that and through that influence, it has spawned some of the best uh, storylines that we've read. But also, it kind of it, it sucked the fun out of it somewhat too. You know, not everything has to be dark and gritty and crazy and and uh, uh, have a you know have a a moral dilemma to it. I mean, you know, it can, it can be good versus evil, black and white, Superman, you know. Defeats Lex Luthor and you're done. Yeah, eventually, you have to challenge Alien into a dance contest. Isn't that fun? Do what? <laughs> I should have said, I said sometimes you just have to challenge a blue alien to a dance contest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh man! So, All right. All right. Let's let's. Uh, I'm going to use one out of Mark Radlich's book here. In the interest of time. We're going to go ahead and we're going to get <laughs> copyright Mark Radlich. We're going to get it on over to Mark Radlich. We're going to discuss a little bit about the visual aspects and, and, and the tremendous storytelling of the movie. So, Mark Radlich, The Watchman. All right. Well, the plot is basically the same. Um, there is less. There are less flashbacks. A lot of the flashback stuff is told in the uh, in the in the opening credits. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm not going to go through a whole thing again. The major, the major change is that instead of an some sort of an alien, which I did not understand in the book, um, some sort of alien <laughs> uh, being brought to Earth and then blowing up and killing people, instead was changed in the movie to something that made slightly more sense, which was a it was made to look like uh, Doctor Manhattan was setting off these nuclear reactors around the world, and when they went up, they took out the cities around them. Um, and that's his master plan at the end. So that's, that's one of the huge differences between the book and the movie. 
Uh, and also, there's no fucking tales of the Black Freighter, thank God. Um, <laughs> well, on no- your version, at least. I was watching a three-hour and 40-minute version yesterday that my buddy had. Oh, you poor uh, man. God. I, well, like I was telling Mark, the kids pretty much uh, made sure that I didn't get through the first half hour. Because they came in, and I was like, I cannot watch this one. And there was no way I was going to, like, start it up at 11 o'clock last night. But it had it had uh, Tales of the Black Freighter uh, <coughs> animated mixed in. So I assume it's some kind of a special edition. Right, guys? Okay. Well, yeah. I, watched, I watched the three-hour version. That didn't have the Tales of the, of the Black Freighter in it. Okay. Um, All right. Okay. So, uh, so that's out. A lot of the stuff with the kid and the newspaper guy is out. Um and a lot of the stuff in the fight now in the movie they left in the one scene where um where the kid runs the crank file which is which is Warshak's journal and that whole line of the world at peace we have nothing to write about takes some initiative runs something and he so he runs Rorschach's journal that's in there that's the only thing that carries over from the book to the movie um, and there's some moderate costume changes. Osmandius doesn't look nearly as ridiculous. Oh, but Rorschach looks fucking awesome. Yeah, Rorschach they nailed dead on. Um, oh. The comedian looks about the same. Uh, you don't see much of Laurie in her in her ridiculous outfit. Um, so I, it's almost a non a non issue. They did a really good job with the Owlman stuff um, as far as the mm. costume. And the um and the sh- and, and the, the Archie the ship, um real quick, <laughs> this is as, as good as any entry point. You know we're talking about you know the, the concept of parody in the Watchmen, and you know when you look at some of the more odder superhero costumes, you know Batman the whole the whole point behind that is he's supposed to be hiding he's a ninja he's supposed to be hiding in the shadows and he uses the bat as a, as a way of, you know what's the famous line. You know, criminals are a cowardly lot. And so, you know, when he first takes to the street and he's just kind of in a coat and he's got a hat on, you know, and he's not having much of an effect. When he put the back costume on and starts scaring the shit out of people, he had an effect. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes sense if you're in the dark. Okay? And I, and I, and the, and I love the scene in The Watchmen where, they, where Rorschach, they've just busted Rorschach out of prison. And um, and they decide they're gonna they're gonna try to finish solving the case of the of the mass killer, uh, and they're gonna start squeezing people in the underground for information. So they walk into this bar, and how asinine, gentlemen. Let's start here. How asinine does Owlman look walking into a bar dressed like a fag retard? Okay, just <laughs> <laughs> stupid as all hell. You know, he's not hiding in the shadows or anything. I mean, Rorschach looked more intimidating. But there this asshole is in spandex and some sort of chain armor and an owlman. <laughs> Calm down. And then he's playing traffic cop, which is my other favorite part of this whole thing. And I'm being dead serious when I say that. He's just, he's just like, everyone calm the fuck down. And who is going to yell out at that point? Hey, you and the asshole owl costume. Ta-da. No one cares. At least, you know, Rorschach is a bit more subtle. He's got a little mask on. But the rest of it, you know, he's fucking Dick Tracy. Um, so, and just, I mean, that, that, that to, there are some unintentionally hilarious parts now that, that, that I've, I've read the book to The Watchmen. And that's right up at the top of the list. 
I'm going to kick that around for you guys. Maybe you can draw out some of the ones that you thought were unintentionally hilarious. But that just the concept of a guy in an owl costume in the midst of everyone looking like normal in a bar is so stupid. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and intentionally stupid, but stupid nonetheless. I'm quite over the top. Uh, well, let me, uh, if you want to go hilarious with some of the scenes in the movie, I mean, well, let's just go with, uh, I don't know if it was unintentionally funny or I just, I, I just giggled, but I mean, I, I could do without having to see, I mean, you guys know where I'm going here. I, I don't, I don't need to see Dr. Manhattan's junk all over the place. All right. I don't uh, yeah. I don't. I, I understand that. Everyone was going on and on and on about the big blue penis on screen, and I'm like, "What are they talking about?" And I had to agree. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I second that. I don't really need to see Billy Crudup's. I mean, body, look, body I understand he's all powerful. I understand he's all powerful, but you know, he he, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have. If he doesn't have to wear clothes, I guess that's the point on, they're trying dude. to get across. <laughs> you can you can oh. deconstruct worlds. Make yourself some pants. Cole, you you know got anything? He's more covered in the comic book. Like he isn't just walking yeah. around like fucking Ron Jeremy in the comic book. But most of the time, he you know he's he's got something on. Either he's 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 rocking this you know the banana hammock, or he's got on the Klingon <laughs> Bundy singlet. You know, or, or he's got a suit on. Oh, um, and, and honestly, he, I, why Zack Snyder opted to not just keep him in the banana hammock the whole time, oh, I don't understand. He was like, no, 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 no. What, the, what, what moviegoers are really looking forward for, the Bill Visceral experience, is blue cock right up on that screen for the whole three hours. Well, uh, the reason Zack Snyder went with that over uh, over the other choices is because he is really good at missing where he should follow the comic and where he should not follow the comic. Because <laughs> other than that, it's like a shot-for-shot shot remake. Other than that, in the ending, it's a shot-for-shot shot remake. But for whatever mm-hmm. reason, he decided, no, 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 no. Dr. Manhattan, naked all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how many people I can make uncomfortable in the theater. Um, now this, I, I just want to ask about <laughs> Zack Snyder real quick. This is 2009 when this movie comes out. What's he got under his belt at this point? Obviously 300, right? Was there another? Uh, was there another great movie that he did? Um, I'm looking at it right now. He directed Dawn of the Dead. 2009, and I'm saying I watched this in 2000. Boy, is my timing off. Um, ah, I got you. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. Um, yeah, 300 and Dawn of the Dead were the other two that they have listed here. So both of which, obviously, Dawn of the Dead, I, I don't know if I've watched that remake. Uh, is that the one? I, I have no idea. Is that the one with Ving Rhames? Yes, it yes. is. R- running Zombies. Okay, all right. So I may have watched a little bit of that, but... This guy is known for having these dark tones in these movies. And I think this particular, just like Cole said, shot for shot remake, this particular book fit him so well. But the thing is is that I don't know if it was a trend that got started with this particular movie because we carry on 
into Man of Steel, and uh, we carry on with Batman v Superman. This these you know these uh, these kind of scary, frightening overtones, even though it's supposed to be a superhero movie. Uh, some of the biggest criticism, Mark, I know you you've heard a lot of it, is the fact that it's it doesn't feel like a superhero movie. That would be Watchmen to a T. Would you not agree? I would absolutely agree with that. I think that was my initial criticism of the movie is I don't feel like I'm watching a comic book movie. Um, I, you really have to get your mind right to watch this thing. You have to understand that you're watching a, a, a very somewhat complicated story uh, unravel for you. And you, it's one of these things where I, I criticize this about a lot about current moviegoers that we're used to a Fast and the Furious pace and we got to get back to a Deer Hunter pace. You know, or at least a distance of your hunter. Um, if you're not willing to allow things to unravel at a, at a slow pace, you're not going to be able to enjoy this movie. Um, because what this movie does, I think, more effectively than a lot of movies we see today, is at least let the characters develop in front of you. Mm-hmm. It gives them time. <laughs> On screen, <laughs> being built, characters are being developed, layers. Are, are are being uh, are, you're being shown you know that these the layers of these people um, that it isn't just one parody after another uh, and you know so the first hour hour and a half of the movie is just that it's just introducing um, it's introducing these characters and allowing them to breathe on screen uh, one of the criticisms I did read about this and I'll I'll shut up and let you guys kind of jump in here is that. And, th- and this was very much a Batman v Superman issue. Was that while I'm while I'm talking about the characters and their on-screen ability to you know allow you to sort of see them you know in four dimensions, the scenes themselves there's not a lot of time. It's just they're sort of rapidly edited together and things jump from one thing to another with no explanation, no rhyme or reason. And a lot of scenes don't have time to breathe. It's just stuff happening. You know, it's a lot of more of a Lucas thing where it's just shoving too much shit in the frame. You know, and they get this. Oh, wait. Going, going, you're going, you're telling me that Zack Snyder, God. you're telling me that Zack Snyder is lacking in subtlety and focus? Tell me another one. Pull <laughs> <laughs> the other one. Surprise, surprise. Um, so, I mean, just, just from a. I like his, I like how he directs the actors. Not sure of his ability necessarily to edit a movie. Mm. Um, you guys want to want to speak to that, Ronnie or uh, Cole? Well, yeah, I'll jump there, in. Um, y- yeah. Oh no, go ahead, go ahead. I'll oh, say I'll, mine. No, no, you're fine. I'm sorry. Um, I was going to say. No, yeah, Cole, go. Um. I absolutely hate this movie. Down to my core. Oh, wow. Um, I think it lacks any whiff of subtlety that the original uh, story has. I think that Zack Snyder was the absolute wrong person to direct this movie because uh, he has a great eye for action and not a whole lot of anything else. Uh, I think that the actor was the... You don't you don't think he gets good performances out of the actors? Well, I think that the actors were horribly miscast, except for uh, oh, I can't remember his name, but the guy who played Rorschach. Jackie Earl uh, Haley. Jackie Earl Haley. Mm-hmm. Perfect. 
great Rorschach. Did a great job. Everyone else, terrible. <laughs> um, I just, I can't, I can't build up enough vitriol for this movie. Um, wow. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that, like I said, I've read the original comic several times. I've, in my head, deconstructed all of the hidden bits of subtlety and hidden meanings and, well, this this uh, cigar isn't actually a cigar. Um, well, wait a second. <laughs> I want to watch this movie again. <laughs> but I just... I, it's, I think it's endemic with Zack Snyder. He likes to play with the big boy toys. He likes to make his movies seem deep and meaningful and like it's it's what we saw in Man of Steel with all of the quote unquote artistic shots of like, oh here's some sheaths blowing in the breeze. Here's a close up of a flower. It's like Babby's first art film. And I think <laughs> I think that he does that a lot in Watchmen. Not as much because he is pretty slavish to the to the framing of the comic. Mm-hmm. But any little flourishes that he puts in there are misplaced and like I said the casting is just all wrong you've got someone way too oily playing uh, Ozymandias who is supposed to be a completely ambiguous character he's not supposed to be overtly villainous or overtly heroic Mm -hmm. he's supposed to be very very neutral Um, you've got someone physically miscast for uh, Night Owl, who is supposed to be this paunchy, over-the-hill, you know, in-no-shape-to-be-a-superhero kind of guy. And you've got, again, I can't remember the actor, but you've got this guy coming in looking like he's in a superhero movie with his Batman uh, Forever uh, battle suit. (laughs) Patrick Wilson. Bat nipples included. I was no. about to say, did it have the nipple? No, Ozymandias. It, it didn't have the. the it didn't have the. Ozymandias had the nipples. I'm sorry. Oh Lord, I forgot about that. <laughs> See, it's in the nipples where all the evil resides. <laughs> um, there go my nipples like, again, Edith. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the podcast degenerates. <laughs> but that's I think that's really the the crux of my issues with the with the movie is just the lack of subtlety. The lack of that ambiguous air. I walked out of the movie and I think a lot of people walked out of the movie saying, Oh, Rorschach was the hero and Ozymandias was the villain. And it just so happens that in this one the villain won. I'll give you this. Gal who plays uh, Laurie Jupiter at Silk Spectre 2 gives a very unsympathetic performance. Mm-hmm. You know, you spend a lot of time with her, and by the end of it, I, I, I don't feel anything for her. You know, yeah, I, I, I'm the weakest part of the entire cast. Not that the gal herself did a... I'm trying to figure out who this broad is. Um, not that the gal really? herself... 
put on a, a, a bad performance, I mean, Malin Ackerman, there she is. Um, her, 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 I mean, her performance is, is good enough, but by the same token, the way that she, the way that she plays the character, I, it's just, she comes across as the bitchy girlfriend, and it never quite gets away from that. And then at the end, you're just like, eh, you're the least interesting person here. You know, of all the people, you know, I talk about the comedian, you talk about Warshak. You know, I could we, we could talk about you know the guy who plays Owlman and you know and all his stuff that's going on with him. And all of these people are interesting. And the stuff that's interesting about her happened to her or around her. Mm-hmm. So the most interesting about this character is that her dad's the comedian, and she's the product of not a rape. I think I think what they alluded to was as a, a second coupling between uh, the comedian and uh, the first inspector. Um, mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong about that. Um, You're right. You know, and, and all and all she knew about the guy was the first rape, and so she had an opinion of him. That's literally the most interesting thing about her. The rest of the time, she's just whining about John. Why, you know? And then it's an, I'm more interested in Alman's relationship with her than I am in their relationship together. And then at the end of it. She's just in this long philosophical conversation with John again, where I think the best thing she does is act like she can't breathe on Mars. Um, and then at the end of it, she's just like there, you know, her like mm-hmm. the big, her big right. shot is she does Mandy is who catches the ball. What do you do? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, what did you guys think of her? I mean, you, you clearly, you, You've already said you know you weren't crazy about the cast, but did she strike you in any way as being particularly awful, or or maybe even the better of the best out of the bunch, like Borchak? What were your thoughts, Cole? Well, as I've as we've already uh, pointed out, I do feel some sort of way about this movie, um, <laughs> but uh, I think that I would agree with you wholeheartedly on the uh, the portrayal of Silk Spectre. Um, I think that the character is never elevated beyond being a plot point. She is, mm. she, she starts off as, as Dr. Manhattan's girlfriend. And then she becomes uh, night owl's girlfriend and partner in crime. And then that's it. Like there, there's no point where she comes into her own. There's no point where she's cause in the comic, by the end, you can see her sort of slowly morphing into her father. She talks about getting a new costume with more leather in it. She talks about wanting to hide her face. Um, You can see that sort of hardening happening to her. And that is completely absent in the movie. In the movie, she's just the girl. She reconciles with her mother, and that's it. She's like, I forgive you, Mom. I get it. No, fucking okay. Um, I know, Ronnie, you've been chomping at the bed wanting to say this and that, so uh, why, don't you just, why don't you jump in here? Oh, no, uh, basically, I was going to say, I completely agree with you all um, with uh, the um, casting of Silk Spectre. I, I thought um, Jackie Earl Haley was amazing as Rorschach. I thought he did a phenomenal job, but I also thought Jeffrey Dean Morgan did good as the comedian. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he wasn't in it much, but I would agree with that. Yeah, I thought he did great. Um, 
as far as as far as the casting goes, though, I really think the the casting of this was they cast it as a superhero movie. Um, they didn't cast it as the anti superhero movie. You know what happens after they all retire or forced to retire or anything like that, because you know the body does age and and, and Night Owl is you know he's past his prime uh, and but. Uh, uh, as far as the acting goes, I thought everybody but Silk Spectre did did fine uh, with the two standouts being Jeffrey Dean Morgan and, and uh, Jackie Earl Haley. Um, I think it was because they both have three names apiece. But, um, uh, but uh, that's just me. But, but there are, you know, um, he who has the most names them. wins. Exactly. Um, <laughs> But uh, I think they they captured some most of what the character, uh, uh, you know, the, the the portrayal of the character Matt Frewer, uh, who played Moloch. I thought he did a phenomenal job as well for what little bit he was in there. Um, but uh, I agree with uh, with uh, Ozymandias. I think the guy's name was Ma- Matthew Good. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, Matthew Good, and um, and Lori uh, uh, Lori Jupiter. But my my other thing was, I was confused by the performance. Um, I, he, 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 I thought he did well, but I, I don't know. Um, it's just like one of those things, like, you're doing good, but is there supposed to be more? Is there supposed to be less? Uh, what are you? Uh, was Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Um, Dr. Manhattan just seemed bored to me. Yeah, yeah. And that's where I, I guess that's where I got the whole – you know, I'm bored. What else am I going to do besides, you know, go off and create another world? And I'll just, you know, I'll hang out here and fight a war for you. Um, I, don't pretty don't, I don't think Zack Snyder understood the character. And so we'll say like, yeah. I think a lot of the direction for Dr. Manhattan was, um, you're kind of a robot. Go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the feel I got. And I know it's got to be, if this guy actually studied up on the character throughout the book, it would have had to have been a daunting character to try and step into the role of uh, and, and try and get across in the first place. I wouldn't know how to take, you know, oh, hey, by the way, you're an a, a all-sentient being, a practically God that walks among people, uh, and you can, you can, you know, it's instantaneous in your mind. You can transcend space and time. All right, go. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do. Oh, I wouldn't know if I'd be talking and- like... And, and? you have feelings, but you don't know what to do with them because they don't make sense. I, because you, I wouldn't, you know, your your intellect doesn't allow you to have feelings. Go, and the guy's just standing there going, "Well, maybe I'll just play him bored." Maybe, maybe I'll talk. And his voice didn't. And this is a really minor criticism, but when he talked, it just felt underwhelming. I was like, this guy mm-hmm. is supposed to be. God Almighty, practically, and he is sitting here, and he has this real quiet voice, which could very well be something they did on purpose, just to give you that sense of conflict there between you know what what was going on in, inside Doctor Manhattan. Well, I want my Doctor Manhattan with a big booming voice, you know. Is yeah, that's, that's, what I, I, that's the way I thought he was. Or something. <laughs> I, I, like they, they, they need like a no, dead serious about that. They need like Morgan Freeman or. Um, What's his face? Darth Vader there. CNN. Uh, the James Earl Jones. Three names. Thank you. 
three days. <laughs> <laughs> you meet the criteria. You text all the boxes. Um, all right, I'm going to throw this idea out there for you guys. Let's kick this around for a minute. Um, you, you, the first thing that occurs to me as I'm reading The Watchmen is this makes for a shitty movie. This would have made for an awesome HBO miniseries. Yes. I'm not going to elaborate mm-hmm. on that. Um, I just want your thoughts. Cole. Yeah, I agree. Um, it would have given the, the material room to breathe. It would have, especially nowadays in the era of Game of Thrones, it would have done exceptionally well because mm-hmm. it would have been able to be that all-encompassing story and show the shades of gray. And you could do, like like we were saying with Chapter 5 of the comics, with Fearful Symmetry, you could do that with some very artistic camera work and very, mm-hmm. you know, cool effects and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be able to better show off the strength of the comic because it is as deconstructions are it is a very broad story it's not Mm -hmm. something that can be summarized in two hours I think um, because of the tempo and as I said before we're not a deer hunter dog day afternoon type of audience anymore we're we're a fast Mm -hmm. and the furious audience and by and large And, um, and I think because of that it's very hard to take in a lot of what this movie has to offer. I think, you know, you hate it, and that's fine. That's your, that, that, that's your, your welcome your opinion. But I think Zack Snyder did the best job he could with trying to get a very dense material into a feature-length format. Um, and I think it's more of a case of not his failure necessarily, but square peg round hole. This just doesn't fit mm-hmm. the medium very well. Uh, Ronnie, your thoughts? No, I'll agree with that because um, I think it would make a wonderful HBO like series or, or um, Netflix or anything like that because with these separate you know episodes, you you have you allow as as it, as it was said that uh, you're allowed uh, for the material to breathe, the storyline to breathe, but you're also allowed um, character development, which I think was very lacking in the movie, um, or or just breathe breathe through real quick. You know, um, uh, you with like Doctor Manhattan, um, we wouldn't have these questions, and we wouldn't have this uh, this idea of him, you know, being bored or whatever. If we'd seen a little more with him, um, you know, as in the comic book and things like that, I, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But um, uh, and it would allow for you uh, allow a lot more um, uh, of the, of the artistic side to flow. Just like you know, with the cool effects on the you know uh, uh, on that chapter, and, and it just you know there was too much. Our you know society's um, attention span is so small when it comes to movies now. It's kind of getting ridiculous, but I mean that's just you know we live in a fast food age. Um, I saw a, a meme on the internet one time that uh, basically said it all when they uh, you know showed a movie rack and and. It just had two uh, two genres, and it just said one rack said boobies and one rack said fighting. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and, you know, and and that's the way you know I talked to some people in you know in my life, and they were like, no, that was boring. You know, uh, you know, taxi driver or or deer hunter or things like that. You know, no, it was boring. 
Why? Because there wasn't enough action in it. Well, what did you think of the story? Well, it, I was bored. Why were you bored? It was a great story. You know? Not hard it is to get a modern kid to get through A New Hope right now. The way that, because that's got such an uh, odd oh. version, 20 to 30 minutes. I mean, you spend 90% of it with fucking the two, with the two droids. And so you get a yeah. kid to watch that yeah. now. And after that first few minutes of, uh, of them shooting at each other, and the rest of it's just two robots walking in a desert. You know, you know, I remember the first time I played, we had just gotten back from, it was Star Wars days at Hollywood Studios, and my daughter was, like, really hyped up on Star Wars. She's been surrounded by it. She went on the ride for the first time, the whole nine yards. She had a purple lightsaber. She was ready for this. And, she, and I showed her a new hope, and she was like, what the fuck am I watching? And I'm like, all right, I get it, Lily. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> But just that well, point, you know, it's, it's hard to get somebody to, to get through some of the uh, slower points of old movie making. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we need to get back to that, though. And this would have been the perfect piece for that. But we, we have to have we have to have all our stuff and done in, in, in the span of, of an hour and a half to two hours and two and a half hours. You know, yeah. you can make fun of directors like Mel Gibson. And people like that because they make two and a half hour, three hour movies, you know, like Braveheart and The Patriot, and and um, I'm just talking Mel Gibson movies right now, but um, uh, it, I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> but um, you know, there's, there's some, okay, yeah, Lord like of the Rings, for, for instance. There there's some great storytelling. Lord of the Rings were too long. No, I mean they could have been longer. I mean, have you read the no? Most people don't read anymore, uh, but if you read the books, you're going to find that they, they could have been six hours, you know, a piece, and that mm-hmm. would have been fine with me because you would have had, you know, intricate parts of the story that they left out, or you know, uh, you know, interesting characters, you know, Tom Bombadil, for for instance. I love that character, but he was left out. Uh, but you know, we just have to have it all right now, and we have to have it, um, you know. Putting a nice little neat package and with a bow on it, um, and you can't do that with material such as as Watchmen because there's a lot more into it, you know. It, but you know, being as it is, even you know, I, I have I stopped watching uh, Game of Thrones, you know, uh, some time back, so uh, I don't know if it's you know in the same vein as this, but that would be the most depressing. HBO miniseries or whatever uh, that you would ever see uh, if you did the if you did Watchmen. I mean, it would just be so now, bleak. As soon as, as soon as I said that, now all I think of is every time I see Doctor Manhattan in my mind, I hear the Oz theme music. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone got it. Okay, good. Move it on. All right. Um, about, last okay. Two, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to say, listen, Zack Snyder didn't. He could have put pants. On Doctor Manhattan because he did three hundred and there was a lot more twig and berries in that book than there were in the, in, in watch. So I know, so, right? Uh, <laughs> I I do want to kind of right. chime in on the whole on the, uh, just real quick. I promise it won't be couple, just a couple minutes, but in regards to this being a series, it was actually proposed to be a TV series at one point. Uh, they this this movie had been thought of as something that would never be made. 
Uh, as a matter mm-hmm. of fact, it goes back all the way to like 20 years ago. They had they had wanted to try and do a representation of the Watchmen and uh, and movie form, and it just did not. The, what they had proposed sounded like crap. But they also proposed a a, a six hour miniseries. Could not apparently it could not be done, or it just didn't make it all the way through. I would love to see a watch a Watchmen with like the treatment of lost where you get the, and this is perfect for it, where, where you get the backstory of the character, you get the flashback and then we get a, the current events that happening right there. That That's what made me think of, that's the TV show that actually brought to mind when I was reading the book and watching the movie was lost uh, because that's primarily what they did. That's the format of uh, Orange is the New Black is that they, they, have a, they have a couple of central plots throughout the series, but each episode focuses on a particular character, and you get flashbacks to that character's backstory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very well told and very well done. We review it here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network uh, each, each season, Sean Comer and I. And I think that that's what lends, that would have been the best format to, to lend itself to doing the doing this justice. Um, can we all agree that the best part of the movie is, is the, is the entire sequence from Rorschach going to prison to Rorschach being broken out of prison. That was, that was my favorite part of the book and the favorite yeah. part of the movie as well. Cole. Uh, it was it didn't make me want to kill myself um, no being completely serious here um, I do think that that segment did do well because it plays to Snyder's strengths it was primarily action it was one character uh beating away a faceless horde um, and it had an explosive ending. Um, and it was fueled by the, again, amazing performance of Jackie Earl Haley, who really makes you believe that this little shrimpy guy can be a complete badass monster. Yeah. <laughs> Roadhouse. Roadhouse. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh man, I, I agree with you guys one hundred percent. Love the like I said, favorite part of the book, favorite part of the movie. Um is there any parts of the movie you guys well, I know Cole hated the whole thing. Was there anything that you guys felt was just completely unnecessary? For it being a shot for shot. Uh, pretty much representation. Um, one of the biggest criticisms is the addition to like hyper violence. You don't really see a whole lot of that in the book compared to the movie. Ronnie, I mean, is that something you felt as a welcome addition to the movie, or was it something that you you could have done without? Being, the movie being what it is, um, it was a welcome addition uh, for me as as far as movies go. Um, because you weren't going to get much more out of it. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of cool because I honestly think to to the uh, – you, you'll, you'll not get me to say anything else. I think Zack Snyder went into this 
uh, thinking that it was an actual, it wasn't a uh, commentary of what comic books and superheroes are supposed, you know, uh, you know it, it, that it was an actual superhero movie. I don't know that he even mm-hmm. read the book. Um, so I think the action sequences added to it uh, as far as a cinematic uh, standpoint. It gave the audience something to ooh and ah about, and that's always a good thing because otherwise you're going to lose them. And would you say this movie had enough slow mo? It had too much. It, it, uh, it rivaled Michael Bay. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yowk. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, hyper violence or no? You big thumbs up on the. Uh... On the addition to the uh, blood splatter and the bones breaking through arms, and I mean, it'll look. Every director has their their little nuance, their their trademark stuff. You know, Michael Bay likes to focus on the ass and titties, ass and titties in his movies. Um, <laughs> you know, the smile and all that. Yeah, everyone's got their own little shtick, so I don't. That doesn't bother me. Um, I had a question for for Cole, who's um. Uh-oh. Who knows the book really well? That ending, you know, where they talk, where where she makes up with her mom, and he's talking about all oh, the tinkering is done and all of that. Is that in the book? Yeah, <laughs> that little epilogue. Yeah. Yes, it is in the book. Um, that's the point that I was talking about, where Laurie starts talking about changing her costume and adding more leather and a face mask. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that segment. Was that? That's not. She doesn't. Okay, so so that epilogue is there, but the conversation that takes place isn't the same. Right. Um, there's there's more to it in the book. There's a whole conversation that happens as they're walking up to the house. Um, they talk about how uh, Dan and Lori have taken on new identities um, because their old identities were compromised and they're talking about going, getting back into the business. Um, and that's when Lori starts talking about wanting to change her costume up. And then she reconciles with her mother, and everyone's happy. Okay. Um, felt, I, I guess I didn't remember it from the book, and it felt tacked on in the movie. Like, you know, like, you know it, it felt like one of those endings where we don't know what to do with this, so fuck it, everyone's happy. You know, everyone's getting along, and everyone's great, and you know, and uh, here, run the crank, run Rorschach's journal, and we're out. Just, well, and I think that's, that's, that's one of the places where it loses the subtlety, because in losing that conversation, you miss the whole point of Lori becoming more hardened and becoming inured to violence and sort of going after it more. Right, and you know, so, that you mentioned, that's a real critical part of her character, because part, because one of the things that they stress in the movie and then they abandon all of a sudden is that she never wanted to be a superhero in the first place. Now, it's hit hard in the book. That, that mm-hmm. you know, she might as well have been wearing a sign that says, I don't want to do this. And mm-hmm. that's a huge part of what drives her, what drives that character. And it's, it's sort of addressed and then forgotten in the movie. I would say, you know, going back to her as a character, it was almost everything about her and her storyline was the, probably the weakest part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Sure. 
Um, and it's maybe because the people putting it together just didn't feel like it was, you know, we would rather see Rorschach kick the shit out of people. All right, let's go with that. Um, <laughs> all right. As I say on Long Road to Ruin, um, I, I'm sort of through guiding the discussion. Any burning desires, anything left unsaid about the movie? Um, I'm just going to – I thought it was a faithful adaptation of the book, um, but I don't love it nearly as much as Cole does, so I get where he's coming from. Um, but overall, after watch, I you know I appreciated the book more after I watched the movie, having having read the book. Um, mm. Any sense? Mm. Uh, and, but I'm gonna I'm gonna step step away here and just to Ronnie, Jesse, Cole, any burning desires, things left unsaid, something you wanted to mention before we uh, we start to get out of this podcast. Go, Ronnie. Um. So the monster at the, the end of the book. Is- uh, uh, whatever like, that yes, was. It's Grover. Grover. <laughs> fuck, do it. <laughs> Grover's would at you, the end of the book, say, man. Would you say that they needed? Uh, well, I mean, like I'm asking. I'll ask Cole this because he he probably has a better handle on it than I do. I I saw that as a as the out the uh, the um, the everybody needs a villain to blame. Uh, you know the the uh, half of the humanity uh, dying was that was that kind of why uh, that was in there? Uh, do you think? Yeah, that was because that was the whole purpose of the yeah of the the alien. It it it's been a while since I've read it, so I can't remember if it was actually uh, said in there. That's why they had the alien in there. So. The thing that didn't make sense to me, because that's what I thought, you know, that was the um, the alien was the the bad guy, the big bad that everybody was going to get pissed at. Um, so, why would they take that out in the movie? I understand that there's only so much you can do with like special effects or money or whatever, but why why would you make you know why would he set off the explosions? You know, uh, Doctor Manhattan at the end, it just doesn't make sense to me. Other than that, and and the poor. Um, performance by uh, you know the, uh, Maylene Ackerman or however you say her name. Um, I overall, I think you know I, I don't want to say that I enjoyed it more than the book, but I would be more willing to sit down and watch the movie again than 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 you know read the book two, two times in a row um, because of the bleak uh, aspect of the book because of the overall. I'm, I'm just going to say it, it's kind of depressing to me. Um, it's not like it's not like you know uh, it doesn't make me want to you know go write poetry in the corner and and wear all black or anything, but man, it just doesn't make me feel good, you know. Um, but uh, you know, it, it, I, I I don't want like I said, I don't want to say I liked it better than the book, but I'm more willing to put up with it again. The you know I don't think it was better than the book, but I'm more willing to put myself through that than read the book over and over again. I'll read the book once a year or so, um, but that's that's just kind of where I am on, on the two. Let me, let, me, let me just step in here real quick. You asked about why they took the alien out and they didn't yeah. use the alien. They, one of the yeah. many YouTube videos I looked at over the course of doing a little bit of research, they had actually talked about the reason why they did that uh okay specifically because 
it was kind of redundant. I think the focus of the movie was to show how Dr. Manhattan was supposedly the weapon uh, that was going to, you know, be used or that be misused in some way or be feared. Uh, and so uh, them using the alien and dropping off the, the dimensional, uh, you know, this dimensional transporting big squid that drops in the middle of New York, it, <laughs> there, there wasn't really, they, they, I guess the director's vision was that they really didn't need that because it would be more of, you know, more dramatic if it was instead, you know, the big blue guy instead of, okay, we got this alien and the blue guy. Uh, so I agree. I thought it was a good choice on the, on the, on the part of the producers and screenwriters to not have the introduction of a completely new element that had nothing to do with anything before. I actually think that that's one of the strengths of the picture is that they really do tidy up his storyline by making him to blame for the uh, for the world being half destroyed. Okay. All right, Cole. Well, what, what do you what do you think, man? Go, what you, what um, what's your burning desires? Going back to the the whole alien point, um, I honestly think that the alien works better because it's mm-hmm. a completely external threat. Um, if you really think about it, Dr. Manhattan is America's fault. Why would that keep Russia from bombing America? Wouldn't it hmm. make them want to bomb America more? Not necessarily. In, in, if I, had, you know, well, it, I mean, look, look at what he can do. So, so let's, let, let's take that right a step right. You know, Russia decides um, they're just going to – they're not going to bomb us, but they're going to shoot one of our planes out of the sky – and then we send Dr. Manhattan in, in the, you know, in the complete uh, uh, overkill. We send Dr. Manhattan over there to, to, to take out Moscow, which he can do with uh, with a thought. I mean, the, the whole my impression of the world and of this world was that with Dr. Manhattan around, no one was willing to go too far because he could do anything, and he could do it with a drop of a hat. Right. Um. But the thing is, uh, Dr. Manhattan, up until that point, had been America's pet monster. So, now correct me if I'm wrong, but at the end of the movie, there are explosions in more than just New York City, right? All over the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, America has unleashed its pet monster. America has said, fuck y'all, we're blowing up everything. This is the age before the internet, before telecommunications. How would Russia know at all that America was hit too? Mm. Um, I think Nixon, I think they, they, there's a scene where Nixon uh, announces it. It basically sums up the whole thing. It's like the whole world was attacked by Dr. Manhattan and that you know, uh, and there's nothing to do except to join together to fight this monster. Yes, after the fact, that's true, but we're talking about mutually assured destruction here. As soon as Moscow got hit, someone is going to hit that button. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Whereas with the alien threat and only taking place in New York, no one else around the world gets <coughs> damaged. There's no reason to retaliate. There's no one to retaliate against except for this alien threat 
that could come back at any minute. And so we must stay ever vigilant so that New York doesn't happen again. That's a good point. Um, I could come up with a silly answer, but we just don't have time. So I'm going to go ahead and say, <laughs> once again, Zack Snyder, you have lost control of the plot. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, oh, we struggle with the details, sir. Uh, Lois Lane can't be in every scene. All right. Um, I think, are we good? Yep. Are we, uh, we, we ready to call it this thing? Any, uh, anything else? I think we're good. I'm good. All right, I'm going to take the deafening sound as, a, as an affirmative. All right, Jesse. Ah, yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I want to thank Ronnie and Cole for being on this show. I'm going to hand it over to Jesse in just one second. I will say, um, so the rest of Alan Moore Month is going to go like this. Uh, next week, we have another movie I hated, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Let's see if reading the book <laughs> helps at all. Um <laughs> Uh, on the 22nd, we have V for Vendetta, and then on the 29th, taking us right into uh, right into October, which of course is Horror Month, uh, we have From Hell, and that's going to be the end of um, Alan Moore Month. If you're wondering uh, when the hell is Long Road to Ruin coming back, it'll be back on the 20th and the 27th of October as we bring you parts one and two of our Hannibal Lecter series. Um, outside of that, I'm going to go ahead and throw it back to Jesse for uh, final thoughts and words and plugs and other picture postcards. All right. All I have, all I want to do here is I just want to get a final tally and then I'll get into plugs. Ronnie Adams, you said movie, mm-hmm. not not book, right? You would you'd rather watch the movie before you'd read the book again, correct? I would be more apt to watch the movie than I would to read the book. The book is okay. much better. Um, but it's one of those books to me, just to me, that uh, it leaves me with a overall, oh, God, why did I do that feeling? Um, All right. (laughs) It just leaves me with that bleak feeling of, of, uh, you know, kind of a deal. I hear you. I hear you. Um, But but, uh, the the movie's got fighting in one of the two two genres. Mm -hmm. So... Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think I would I would rather watch the movie, you know, more often than read the book. Now I'll read the All book. Right. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I got you. I got you. All right, Mark Radlitz, you said movie yourself, or did you say book? Oh, give me give me a fucking break. The movie, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cole Marantet, my friend. What what would you what would you rather do? Read the book or watch the movie? Oh, let me think about this. I don't know. I just—it's such an. I haven't been here for the last two hours. I was was Um, waiting for Cole. I was waiting for Cole to just repeat what I said, only reverse. Give me a fucking break. um, No, I mean clearly, Uh, I would prefer the book. Uh, All right. I just—I don't appreciate the movie anywhere near as much as I appreciate the book. And like I said, I don't—I appreciate the book as art. I think my like love of it my actual love of the story has degenerated a bit over the years but mm-hmm. as a piece of art and an important piece of comics history i appreciate it okay all right well going into this podcast and i think i'm going to stick with it I, i'm going i'm leaning with the movie here give give me give me blood give me guts uh i 
I appreciate Zack Snyder's attempt at putting this on screen because he did a very good job of bringing it to the screen itself. And I don't mind the addition of some of the stuff that's in there. Now I haven't read the book and I haven't read the book as much as Cole has. Uh, He has a, I I could tell Cole has a great appreciation for what not only goes into the book, but a lot of the themes that are in the book and some of the, you know, most of the character breakdowns that happen, but I, I, I'm going to lean for the movie here. So at the end of it all, it's three to one for the movie on this particular podcast. I want to keep track as we go through the rest of the uh, Alan Moore month, and we'll have a final tally at the end of things just to see if the movie or the source material wins. I'm kind of pulling for source material, but as you can see, I'm being I'm being completely objective, and I'm I'm telling you what's on my mind here. So, all right, plugs. Uh, as for myself, you can follow me at Stiznarchy on Twitter if you so wish. I do a co- comic book podcast here on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. It is called Source Material. Right now, in the month of September, what we have going on is me, Ronnie Adams, and Justin Thomas got together and we discussed He-Man and the mini comics that came with the figures. Uh, if you guys like He-Man, if you collected the figures and you had some of the comics, uh, we got our hands on a tremendous two-volume set of almost, I think, all of the uh, mini-comics that are out there. And we mm-hmm. went through and selected uh, a couple stories for each of us. So you're going to be hit with four mini-episodes uh, throughout the month of September discussing these He-Man comics. The next one's going to drop this coming Monday. It's only going to be a real quick 20, 25-minute episode, uh, but we, we discussed a couple a couple uh, of... Uh, I think this is Justin's, and I I think, Ronnie, you talk about Ram Man, and Justin talks about Trap Jaw. There you go. Ram that's That's right. That's right. Ram Man, he's... He's, he's something else there in the old Masters of the Universe line. Uh, and we they, get into that there. <laughs> he wears the helmet for a reason, folks. Um, but, yeah, you can check that out. That'll be showing up here this coming Monday. Uh, give the Rattlich and Broadcasting Network Facebook page a like. Stay up on top of all the great comic – <laughs> let's try that again. Stay up on top of – Let's let's. What time is it? Eleven thirty. Okay. Let me try this one more time. Stay up on top of all the great podcasts that the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network has to offer. Uh, as we will not bombard you with junk, we'll just tell you when a co- podcast is coming on, and you can check it out. I'm done with my plugs. Who wants to go? I'm gonna jump right in. Go. I'm gonna jump right in here. Um, we took a week off from the Metal Hammer of Doom to refresh our batteries. Uh, and because certain things sort of fell off the calendar, but that's all right. Next week we are back uh, with KMFDM Rocks Milestones. I'm going to introduce mm-hmm. the boys to some industrial metal from Germany. Kill motherfucking Depeche Mode. It's not what it really stands for. Um, <laughs> I always thought it was dance music. Came at, at industrial, it, you know, whatever. No, no, no. I mean, of, uh, killer, killer mother effing dance music. Uh, yeah, that's one of the other ones. No, it actually, it's, it's German for no pity for the majority. Yeah. What I have always understood. Um, no, but uh, yeah, we're gonna Jerry, just start turning Robert Cooper. Going to listen to me talk for five million hours about KMFDM and how uh, <laughs> Skinny Puppy saved Charlie in the pit. All right, um, moving on. 
we <laughs> Thursday, as I said, we've got the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, the following week, uh, Metal Hammer of Doom is going to be reviewing the new Brokeria album. Um, if you're wondering when Winfrey and I are coming back, we'll be back Tuesday, September 27th, to review the Magnificent Seven. Uh, the Metal Hammer of Doom will be reviewing the new Every Time I Die. Uh, and that's really it for the month of September. Um, just on a personal note, on the days that we're not doing um, Screaming Boy on the weekend, I have uh, made some personal life decisions, and I have gone back to medical weight loss. And I will be journal, blog, podcasting. That's what I was looking for. Podcasting. Um, <laughs> podcasting. thing we're doing right now. My <laughs> this, this thing right here. Um, I'll just some 15 to 20 minutes, just sort of, uh, sort of going through this the second time around for me. Um, so people are interested in that. Uh, on the days where we don't have a podcast going on, I'm going to try to throw something up. Just some, as I said, some thoughts, some issues. Uh, I know, you know, weight weight loss is hard for people, and you know, if I can add to the um, support that is out there from uh, various strangers in various ways, then I can, then I'll try to do that. And if you don't care, that's also that's also fine. <laughs> you don't care about my ramblings. Um, so look for so look for that soon uh, as soon as I can get one uh, start these uh, start these up and that's my plugs for now. Cole, what's got what's got to plug? All right, well uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Film Twit or on Tumblr for randomness at uh, the same title, the Film Twit. I also have a Twitch.tv channel where I live uh, live stream PS4 gameplay. That's Twitch.tv/slash/TheFilmTwit. You can see a brand growing here. Um, but that's pretty much all I've got going on. Uh, don't have much in the way of, uh, other things to plug. So I'm going to push it back to, uh, the hosts. Ronnie Adams, my man, what you got? Uh, we, uh, I host a, uh, nerd culture podcast called Screaming Boy Podcast, where we talk about movies, TV shows, comic books, Video games, uh, college football, hopefully, um, just anything, music, anything that you can be a nerd about, we'll talk about it. Um, here recently, um, we have hit the ground running with several different episodes, um, revamped season two, version 2.0, whatever you want to call it. Um, we did, uh, um, we released a new documentary diary. We have um, episodes about uh, uh what, the latest episodes were about Pokemon Go, and then we discussed a little bit about uh, the WWE and what happened between um, uh, what happened between Daniel Bryan and The Miz on on Talking Smack. And then uh, the recent most recent episode was uh, uh, to celebrate the re-release in theaters of The Neverending Story. We we all got together and discussed you know our childhood memories of The Neverending Story. Does it hold up over time? Uh, what we liked about it is if we found. Um, uh, what, how some you know those of us with children how they they reacted to the movie now, things like that. It was a lot of fun. We actually uh, heard from the actress uh, uh, who played the childlike empress herself uh, on Twitter. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, you can find us on uh, any kind of social media at uh, Screaming Boy PR on Twitter, Screaming Boy Podcast on Instagram. 
Uh, you can just search Screaming Boy Podcast on Facebook and find us. You can find the show on uh, iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, um, and, of course, on the Radulichin Broadcasting Network. Uh, we got some great shows coming up. Uh, we got some ideas in the can- you know floating around. Uh, some interviews with some local filmmakers, things like that. So it's going to be really, really cool. Um, and that's pretty much it for us. Uh, we we do Twitch too. Uh, we decided Adam and I, my co-host, now we're going to uh, start Twitch channel. So uh, we are not good at the games we play. Uh, <laughs> so if you want to watch good, then you can watch Cole. If you want to watch a couple of nerds get their butts kicked at different games, then you can watch us. It's actually humorous, but it probably gets tiring over time saying these guys suck really bad. Um, and that's pretty much it. I, I do want to uh, I, I do want to go ahead and piggyback here. At one point, there will be a documentary diary done where me and Josh Calandros crossing our fingers here. We are going to watch the mindscape of Alan Moore and we're going to fit it in here at oh. some point in this month. <laughs> so me and, and Josh Calandris will be discussing some fun, fun, great stuff about Alan Moore that, that a lot of people may not know about. <laughs> Other than that, that's all I got. And that's all you guys have. Mark Radlich, sir. Take us one out of here, I guess. All right. To everyone that tuned in tonight. And for those of you listening on a download, be well, be safe, and behave. <gasps> Look at all these alternative comic book creators. Alan Moore, Art Spiegelman, oh, Dan Klaus. I really identified with the girls in Ghost World. They made me feel like I wasn't so alone. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Do you know anyone who works at Batman? Because I really want to draw Batman. I'm awesome at utility belts. Check these out. This is where the Batman keeps his money, in case he has to take the bus. Mm-hmm. Alan Moore, you wrote my favorite issues of Radioactive Man. <laughs> oh, really? So you'd like that I made your favorite superhero a heroin-addicted jazz critic who's not radioactive? I don't read the words. I just like when he punches people. How do you make his costume stick so close to his muscles? <sighs> Mr. Moore! <laughs>